Welcome back to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. A few years ago, I was returning from a summer of missions in Spain. It had been a blessed but challenging summer, and it had been about six weeks straight of being on at all times, it seemed. Giving, pouring out, organizing, leading many people in many situations and through a ton of challenges. And though good things happened by God's grace that summer, I was ready to get home especially since my wife had stayed in the U.S. that summer holding down the fort, and I was way over phone calls and FaceTiming after a month and a half on different continents and in different time zones, my beautiful bride half a world away. So though I knew I'd miss the charm of Spanish life, culture, and the beauty of all it had to offer, I was pretty stoked to get to the airport, checked in, wait at the gate, and board my first flight. Things were going well until they weren't. When the captain came over the intercom announcing something in Spanish first, following it up with an English announcement, we were sitting there on the plane and I, I knew it wasn't good news. First, because the Spaniards all mumbled and groaned after the captain got through the Spanish version of the announcement. And second, because in the little Spanish I speak, I knew that our flight was delayed. Pretty ironic, actually, since Spanish culture tends to not be in a rush. And delays seem to be a regular part of life there and had been the theme of that summer. Now, the delay was not going to be too long, just 25 minutes or so because of high air traffic into and out of Madrid, where we were headed for me to catch my connecting flight. But the problem was that my window to catch my next flight was really tight, and now would be next to impossible. So I prayed and I sweat a bit, relieved when the flight finally took off, hoping the pilot would step on the gas and pick up time in the air. We arrived in Madrid delayed as promised, and it seemed like everything was taking longer than anticipated. Opening the cabin door, deplaning the passengers. Since we were at an out position away from the main terminal, there was a bus to catch, and time was ticking, and I was going to be late. I sprinted through that airport, hoping I would make it. Cut to the front of customs lines, did hurdles over people's rolling suitcases, navigated through a maze of an airport, and got to my gate with just minutes to spare. But though the official departure time still loomed, for international flights, they have rules about being on board at a certain amount of time before departure, and my delay had caused me to miss that window. And though I could still see the plane outside, still in its parking spot at the gate, the door had been closed. The jetway pulled back. And in fact, the ground crew who had boarded the plane had already left the gate. Final calls and boarding complete. The delay had made me miss my flight back to the U.S., at least that one. So I headed to customer service, found an agent to help. But alas, that was my last chance to get over the Atlantic that day, and my flight had now departed, and there was no rerouting that was going to be taking place that day. Man, I was so bummed. I was so looking forward to going home, and now it was going to be longer. They got me a flight for the next day, got me a hotel voucher for the night, told me I had to head to baggage claim to get my bags since they couldn't keep them for almost 24 hours, and that took forever, probably about three hours for them to locate and get my bag. I caught the shuttle to the hotel and made it to my room and called Erin to tell her the news. I wasn't coming home just yet. An unexpected delay. It ended up not being all that bad though. I took the metro into Madrid and explored the beautiful city, something I'd never done. Walked the streets, the parks, the museums. Such a charming city with its unique architecture and city life. And I saw a whole nother side of Spain that was really, really pretty awesome. I guess an optimist would say I got a free bonus night in Madrid. It was a win-win, right? Yes, but based upon my expectations, it was just a delay. God is eternal and he is never in a rush, and his schedule and our schedule do not always align. This is something Jairus is seeking, is seeing in Mark chapter 5, where we left off in the last 
podcast, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, stepping out to Jesus because he is desperate. His 12-year-old daughter is sick and about to die. Jairus aligning himself with the only one that he knows that can help, though it means Jairus might deal with the consequences of the religious leaders who are opposing Jesus' ministry. And Jairus hits a jackpot. Jesus agrees to head home with him. On the way to heal his daughter, Jairus feeling some hope in this situation until Jesus stops the procession in the midst of the thronging crowds and asks, Who touched me? It was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she had faith to touch the hem of his garment, and power had gone out from him, and she spills the whole story. It says she told him the whole truth. I imagine the whole story, the 12 years of suffering, all the quack doctors and all the odd remedies she had tried, only to be disappointed and still suffering and an outcast. Jesus comforting her when he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But as glorious as this moment is, I wonder if Jairus was there on the sidelines, tapping his foot, glancing at his watch, pacing back and forth. To him, this glorious healing was a delay, and it may not have even spotted the work of God that was happening in this moment, or that was happening behind the scenes, even in regard to his situation. And so we pick up with that part of the story after the delay in Mark 5, verses 35 through 43. Jesus is still speaking with the woman, rejoicing in her faith and in the Father restoring another life for his glory. It's a beautiful moment. Tears of joy, I can imagine. Oohs and ahs from the crowd as they remember this woman's plight. But the moment is quenched a bit when we get to verses 35 through 36. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Bad news. Since Jairus left his house, in that time his daughter had died. It was too late. They had missed the window for Jesus to help. At least that's what they thought. Perhaps you remember the pain of receiving bad news, the feeling that came over you, the physical responses to hearing that bad news, especially the loss of a loved one. The shock, the disbelief, the sadness, the anger, the confusion, the fear, the overwhelming grief. So many emotions when we are greeted with the news that a loved one is gone. The realization that they've passed away. Jairus is feeling all of those in this moment. I can only imagine Jairus considering the delay, this interruption, maybe even upset at the woman. She had dealt with her flow of blood for 12 years, the same length of time his daughter had been alive, and she picked now to come for healing? This whole scene caused a holdup in Jairus's plan, and the delay was interrupted by the news that they were now too late, that his daughter had died. A few things to observe in all of this complicated web of circumstances and emotion. First, Jesus was not in a rush. He is the one who stopped the procession, the crowd, the entourage. He's the one who called out asking who touched him. He is the one who listened to her story, her whole story, while Jairus was put on hold. God is never in a rush, is he? Human beings have always been in a hurry. God has never been in a hurry. Think about it. God waited a really, really, really long time after Adam and Eve before he called Abraham. Then it was almost 2,000 more years before entering human history in the person of Jesus. And think about this. God, Jesus in the flesh, took almost 30 years before beginning his public ministry. And though he's promised that he'd return, it's been almost 2,000 years again. And though he's coming, quote, quickly, Many are currently wondering, what's the delay? From man's perspective, God is always getting sidetracked by delays, but God is right on time and never in a rush to get there. 
all throughout the Bible. There's stories of God teaching his people patience. Abram had waited 25 years. Joseph waited between 15 and 25 years. Moses waited until he was 80 years old to begin his ministry. Israel waited 40 years in the wilderness. When God dealt with Israel over many years, he was never in a hurry. If you think about it, patience is God's nature. And why did Adam and Eve fall in the garden? Human impatience. Some scholars note that the Christian church grew early on in the first few centuries, even though they faced a lot of persecutions and hardships. One reason? Many think it was because of patience. In all parts of life, they had to be patient and trust God rather than cutting corners and compromising with the world or going against their faith. Patience was key for early Christians in the way that they did business, in maintaining purity in an impure culture, in taking care of their needy among them, in navigating through complicated politics and the violence and persecution that met many believers. Patience was a key virtue of the early church. Patience in trusting in God. Here in Galilee, Jesus was not in a rush. He took a moment to stop with this woman who had waited so long for this moment. How much that must have meant to her to be able to share this whole story, all the details of how she'd come to need him. And Jesus initiated this moment. He could have gone on, a slight smile on his face with the satisfaction of knowing power had gone out of him and someone anonymously was going home thrilled, not stopping for this conversation, an invisible moment that she would know privately. And no less effective and lasting as Jesus stayed on course and trotted on to Jairus' home. No delays to be had because Jesus, because Jairus was important and noble and a public figure after all. But Jesus is not anxious. He's in no rush. He initiates this delay, making room for this woman to identify herself, to share her story. How kind this was to the woman. Psalm 86 says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And Jesus, God in the flesh, showed that this day. How hurried our lives are in this on-demand world. As we impatiently rush from one thing to the next, our schedules making no time to be interrupted. Productive, yes. Available, unfortunately not. Can you imagine if God ran the universe the way we run our lives? You have a need to present to him, something to seek him about, and he has his secretary schedule you out. He has an opening at 10 a.m. on September 3rd, 2024. It's a Tuesday if you're free. That's what it seems like getting into an appointment nowadays, right? Like calling the doctor and they schedule you so far out or the dentist. Oh, praise the Lord that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, that we can boldly approach his throne of grace with confidence right now. No appointment necessary, not turned away at the door, not brushed off because he is too busy or distracted or overcommitted. And how well we would do to ask Jesus for wisdom and how to do this in our lives too. How to make space in our lives, not for more Netflix or hobbies or vain pursuits, but more space to be able to be led by him. So that when spontaneous opportunities arise to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus, when someone presses in through the crowd with a need, we can stop what we are doing and minister there. How many opportunities are around us each and every day that the Holy Spirit is aware of, and yet we march on, keeping to our overflowing schedules and commitments, unavailable to stop the procession to meet the need of the moment. Jesus was able to do that here, and this woman was blessed. Another thing about this scene, Jairus hears the news, his daughter is dead. The delay caused them to be too late, apparently, or at least he thought. But Jesus steps in immediately. It says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. 
Jesus does not let Jairus spin out of control in this moment or go down the roads of despair. He challenges him not to be afraid, but to keep believing. It's a promise of God rushing in to meet this man in the darkest moment, in the midst of despair, something that he can cling to, hold on to, hope in. Now, Jesus had never heard the journey song, Don't Stop Believing, but that's exactly what he tells Jairus right here. Don't stop believing. Jairus could have lost it right here. I mean, his whole world could have come crashing down right there in public, a total meltdown. It could have been really bad. A mix of grief of losing his daughter and anger at the delay that, in his opinion, may have cost his daughter her opportunity to be healed. But Jesus does not let the lies and doubts and fears take root. Instead, he offers and makes a promise. Promises from God are anchors, grips, guardrails, handrails, curbs, and bumpers. And scripturally, the Lord has given to us many promises to hold on to. And in life, when we face challenges, disappointments, losses, stresses, fears— we'd be wise to quickly find a promise, a biblical promise to hold on to before we spiral out of control in our thoughts and emotions, to ask the Lord to send us a life ring, a promise of hope, even if it is just so that we can take the next steps. I remember the years before I met Aaron, being single was so tough and a constant painful sore spot. And God was good to throw me promises to get me through, though I didn't always cling to them or stand on them. But I had journal pages filled with them, and I'd have to get back to them all the time, remembering the promises of God, something that he had told me in the previous season, true anchors in desperate times. And they'd hold for a bit, but then slip again when the waves seemed too overwhelming and strong. But scripture always seems to do the trick. The word of God, just the promises that I needed. Perhaps you've been in a season or circumstance of life where you need the promises of God. Truth to cling to, to hold to, to carry you. That's what Abraham, our father in the faith, did. All those years waiting for the Lord to fulfill the promise of bringing Isaac, we read Romans 4, verses 20 and 21. He, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he, God, was also able to perform. It's not just about finding some promise to hold to, but not wavering in it, not wavering in the promise. To ask the Lord to send us a life ring, a promise of hope, even if it is just so that we can take the next few steps and then clinging to it, no matter how long it takes. That's what he gave Jairus here. Didn't let him get too far down the road of getting swept up in this bad news and all that it implied. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Are you spinning out of control right about now? Overwhelmed, anxious, not thinking or seeing straight, confused, despair? If you have a promise, cling to it. If you need a promise, ask the Lord for one. And if you don't have the clarity yourself right now, enlist others you know who seek the Lord and know his word to help you find some promises, to offer you some promises, to pick out some promises for you that you might cling to them. Jesus handed Jairus a promise with no time to get lost in his loss. Not only does Jesus offer a promise, but Jesus moves in action on Jairus' behalf. The delay is over. God is about to come through for this man. We read, And he, Jesus, permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. 
But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Jesus leaves the crowd and most of the disciples, heading off with Jairus and Peter, James and John only. This invited group set apart from the crowd to witness this glorious moment. When they arrived, the morning was happening already. Culturally, much grief was to be expressed, and even professional wailers were brought in to make a scene. Now Jairus is prestigious, so people are there. The scene is being made. But Jesus sees it differently. Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. From weeping and wailing to laughing and mocking, they could not believe this claim that the child was not dead, at least not for long. Just sleeping. Not as in taking a nap, but a temporary death, truly dead, flatlined, but that despite the circumstances and delay and the appearance of finality, Jesus will speak authority and overrule the sin of death in this home, at least temporarily. And Jesus heads in with his three disciples and the child's mother and father, a select group to witness this revival of life, not a resurrection in the truest sense, since she will die one day once again, hopefully old and advanced in years, but a revival to restore the life that was taken from her. Only some were invited to witness this marvelous display, in the same way that many are called, and all in fact, but few are chosen and respond, and how many are looking to be present at the ultimate resurrection. When most of the world out there is weeping and wailing and focused and all that ends in death, for the wages of sin is death, mocking the promise of life that Jesus is offering and extending, rather than being invited in to witness God's life-giving power, victory over death. Now, this small, intimate group is alone there in the room, this young girl's body lying there, these parents wrestling with the loss of a daughter, but clinging to the hope and promise that Jesus gave, that she's not dead, she's just sleeping, She'll wake up again to see them. This is an up-close and personal moment. Only a few get to witness this. Maybe this was a reason that Jesus allowed the delay. When Jairus met Jesus in the street earlier in this ordeal, he had said, my little, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her and she may be healed and she will live. A few things Jairus came with. Come lay hands on her. In Jairus' mind, Jesus would have to be physically present Perhaps he missed hearing about Jesus' interaction with a Roman centurion, something Matthew recorded in his gospel in chapter 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Did you catch that? It was a long-distance healing. Jesus worked remotely that day. He didn't even show up on site. The Roman centurion had faith to believe Jesus didn't even need to show up, that he could make it happen from afar. But Jairus's faith figures Jesus will need to accompany him home to make it happen. Another thing, now that the death has happened, Jesus is asking Jairus to trust him, to keep believing, even though things are beyond hopeless at this point, at least in their understanding. But how much more will this miracle be miraculous? A healing would be great. And that's the little faith that Jairus had at that point, a faith enough to believe that Jesus could heal if he came presently. But reviving this girl from the dead? Man, his faith is being stretched. That's pulling out all the stops and showing God's power in an even greater way. And perhaps that's part of the delay. God wanted to show greater glory. Jairus may have been thinking, Jesus, if you had just done what I said, this would have been great. This would be over already. 
But instead of Jesus obeying Jairus's recommendations for this whole situation, he allowed a delay, which made the situation worse, circumstantially speaking, but now will be more glorious on the other side when the reviving of this girl is accomplished. We often propose to Jesus a few solutions and scenarios for our circumstances. We come to him, but we have already come up with plan A and a few alternatives, and we recommend to him his options for all that we are requesting. Maybe plan A, plan B, and plan C. May We may even surrender and come to a place where we tell Jesus that we trust him and we will embrace whichever of these options he chooses to enact. We will be grateful. But God may disregard our plans, our recommendations, our advice, all three plans. He may delay the answer to bring more into the situation. Maybe even allow it to go from bad to worse. But even the delays will bring him glory when he is able to accomplish so much more than we could ask or think, and really blow us away with just how good he is. Of course, God doesn't always fix everything. We don't always feel like we see the good outcome of a delay. We never get invited to a revival, a temporary resurrection behind closed doors. God did not come through when we asked him to help. And he doesn't seem to have a better backup plan, at least not one that is revealed yet. How disappointing and disillusioning that can be. But remember, we have not seen the end. There's a whole behind-the-scenes show being produced that those who enter into the private chambers of eternity will see, where our earthly disappointments will have heavenly sense, and our failed recommendations to Jesus will be uncovered and trumped by God's wisdom and His glory. Where even though we don't get why God does things the way He does sometimes, or why He delays and lets things get worse, or why He doesn't fix things and leaves them broken, we can come to a place of having faith like Job had in which we proclaim, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. There in the room, the miracle takes place, verses 41 through 43. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Overcome with great amazement. Truly, that is an understatement. And that Jesus tells them not to let anyone know. How can they contain it? Their daughter, 12 years old, she was gone. They thought they had lost her for good. But they were reunited here behind closed doors to enjoy more time together, more days, more celebrations, more laughter, more sorrows, more pain, more struggles, more trials but they would be thrilled to have just a bit more of any and all of that life had to offer if it meant having more time together. In the context of this story, Jairus had to part with his daughter for a brief period of time, at least this time around. What was it since he got the news there in the crowd that his daughter had died? How much time had passed? 30 minutes? An hour until this little revival, this resurrection? Jesus had told them not to fear. And how hard it must have been to hold back the emotions, to believe and trust during that window. But in reality, she was gone just a short time. And now this joyous and hard to believe, can you pinch me too good to be true moment. Losing those we love is painful and hard and impossible to get over. We were not hardwired to be able to process it. The sting of death, the sting of sin is found in death for the wages of sin is death. Death came into this world when we sinned, but for those who place their faith in Jesus, a resurrection awaits. 
And though we do lose people we love and never want to part from, it's part of the human experience and one that makes us long for eternity like no other. And for the believer, the one who knows the free gift of salvation in Jesus, Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 4, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. But waiting for the reunion can seem like forever. For Jairus, he had to wait just a short time, 30 minutes, an hour. How would we live and mourn differently if Jesus told us how long it would be until we were reunited with those we love? What if he let you know it would be three hours or three days or three weeks or three months or even just three years? How brief that is in light of eternity. And that knowledge would make the parting easier to bear. The reminder that we are promised life together once again, eternal life. Jairus was blessed to have a bit more time with his young daughter and how brief their time apart had been, though it was filled with sorrow. But this is just a reviving, remember. She would die again one day, hopefully as an old woman full of years and experienced and experiences and a legacy left behind, having lived a second chance at life to the fullest. But she would die again, a physical death at least. And Jairus would pass away as well, and his wife too in time. They would depart this world one at a time sorrow visited again. But how they lived this renewed lease on life would be something they did not take advantage, they would not take advantage of, nor should we when we are born again, moving from death to life. No longer slaves to sin and death, but servants of Jesus the second time around. And though the death of a loved one does indeed sting, if the loved one knows Jesus, it is but just a temporary separation, a delay of a brief window of time in light of eternity. And a reunion awaits, one in which even the time apart will feel like a blink of an eye. Could it be three minutes? Could it be three days? Three weeks? Three months? Three years? Only God knows. Oh, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Had Jairus believed he would see his daughter again, the time apart would have been bearable enough. And the happy tears here behind closed doors, worth it a new lease on life, a new appreciation, a daughter born again. How much sorrow for those who do not have eternal life, who've rejected Jesus's plan for salvation, who trust in themselves, their own ways, their own works. There is no hope of the life that is to come. And even this current life, not having experienced being born again, a second lease on life, just living for the same old things, not counting the time, not redeeming the time. And so Jesus delays his return, having promised that he would come back to this earth. It has already been already 200, 2000 plus years. But this delay, at least from our perspective, a delay in which we cry, Maranatha, Lord, come. It is a delay of mercy and grace so that others might hear and repent and turn so that when death comes into their life or home or circles, there can be hope instead of fear. And though they might mourn, an eternal comfort still sings, as Jesus' salvation tastes sweet, even through bitter tears, for those who trusted in him. God's timing is perfect timing. And the, the delays in this scene in Mark, all with purpose and grace, there is no delay in our lives that he cannot jumpstart. There is no delay in our worlds that he is tapping his foot at. God Most High creator of time and space. He never wastes a moment or opportunity. 
and even delays are divine in his hands. And if you feel like God is dragging his feet right now in your life, some sort of delay taking place, I encourage you, look to scripture, find some story in the Bible of someone who trusted God through a delay, where God slowed things down and there was a purpose behind it. I think of Elizabeth and Zacharias at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, the story of this old couple who had been so faithful to God, obeying his commands through and through, and yet they had no child, that promise of God not being fulfilled. Until the day that Zacharias, now old and advanced in years, went into the temple, his lot being cast to go burn incense there, and there met him an angel who said to him that the time was now, that his wife, Elizabeth, though she was well advanced in years, she would conceive and bear a child, and they should name this child John, that he would be the forerunner of the Messiah, preparing the way of the Lord. Well, it made total sense now in the delay. God wanted a greater glory. God wanted something better for them. God's delay had a complete divine purpose that was tied into Jesus's kingdom and all of eternity. And that's what we need to remember as well. We may not understand on this side of eternity why God delay, and perhaps he will give us insight into that. But in the end, God will be glorified. God's delays are purposeful, and God is always right on time. Remember the sprint through the Spanish airport at the start of this episode? Well, ironically, it wasn't the last one that happened to me returning from Spain. A year or two after that summer and missing my flight, Aaron and I were coming home from a summer of missions back through the same airports. And what happened? We were delayed again. It felt just like a repeat, an anxious flight to Madrid, a rush to get off a plane, cutting in line at customs, spraying through terminals, trying to make up for the delay. But this time we got to the gate and the plane was still there. The gate was still open. And this time though, they pulled me aside for an extra security check. It was a delay on top of a delay. I told Aaron, just get on the plane. They checked my bag, looking through everything. Of course, protein powder, collagen powder, and the assorted spices like saffron that my wife had picked up in Spanish markets to take home all looked suspicious in our carry-ons like drugs or something. And as I stood there sweating from the airport sprint, nervous about missing the flight, I totally had all the telltale signs of a smuggler or drug dealer or terrorist trying to board the flight the last minute. But I passed their checks, got a recipe tips for a paella from the guards in regard to our saffron, not really, and boarded the plane to join my wife who was already seated in our row. It was another delay, but we missed nothing. We caught our flight, though I was sweating like crazy, not ideal for an overseas trip home. We didn't get a bonus night in Madrid, but we made it in time and we made it home right on schedule. Perhaps you feel like your life is always hitting delays, delay after delay and you're disappointed at best. Know this, you will never miss the opportunities God has for you if you're walking with him by faith. And the next delay, although inconvenient, may still be a part of his perfect plan for you. Life never goes exactly as planned. We can work as hard as we want to keep everything on track and on schedule, but God is the timekeeper that we must obey and whom we can trust. Our lives, but a breath. Our days, limited in number. We will feel repeatedly in life like life is delayed, hiccups along the way, each one though a divine part of God's plan, likely something we won't understand until we reach his side, to see the notes in the margin of his day planner. But may the delays be based on things that we cannot control. I'm afraid some of our delays come because we are dragging our feet, 
slow to follow, slow to move, reluctant to step, disobedient to follow. And the Lord still works in spite of these things, something his sovereignty will have to reveal in eternity as well. But we may we wait on the Lord, and never the Lord wait upon us, so that the divine delays may work their course, just as Jairus saw in the end, knowing Jesus to be greater than he had even anticipated when the original request was made. He knew Jesus could heal, but he didn't know that Jesus could bring about a resurrection. How blessed we are when we call upon Jesus as Savior, the one who paid our price so that we might live. It seems too good to be true. But how much more we discover him to be as he proves himself over and over, never late, always on time, and always orchestrating everything perfectly in hindsight. So Lord, help us to rest in you, not to strive nor stress nor rush through each opportunity you give us in this life. Lord, may we slow down to your pace when we need to, and may we not hesitate to follow your invitations when they're extended. May we keep step with you all the days of our lives. We praise you, Lord, for eternal salvation and hope, and ask for the chance to share the gospel with many as we wait for your return. Lord, soften hearts, break those that who are hardened, and may we live each day fully for you, as if it could be our last, never missing a moment. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.